1: You are listening to Metal Shop's Backstage Pass.
2: It's 99.9 KISW Metal Shop in Seattle. And on the phone right now, Mr. Robert Garvin from Sirith Uncle. This is a band that is going to be headlining one of the days of Northwest Terror Fest. Northwest Terror Fest is taking over Seattle next week from Thursday till Saturday. Go to northwestterrorfest.com for tickets. There's still some available. But, Robert, dude, it's it's awesome to have you on the line. Uh, Southern California Metal Band hugely influential you guys are back at it after so long away a couple decades away uh first off we wanted to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today robert
3: no it's my pleasure
2: um, so I guess there's no way to really start other than just go back to when you were first getting interested in music. We like to know kind of the foundation of, uh, some of the people we talked to, uh, what was the first album that you purchased with your own money, like that you actually, you know, went to a store and bought with your own money. Do you remember?
3: Yeah, I do. And that's embarrassing, but, uh, I think it was poke salad, Annie. Nice. That was kind of an older, but you know, to kind of follow up on the back of that, I think the next uh, thing I bought was uh, Fortunate Son by uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival.
2: Okay, there you and go. The,
3: the first album that I bought was Mountain Climbing, and Greg, uh, who's in the band still to this day, me and him were like uh, two of the original founders, mm-hmm. he was always the guy that was kind of turning me and the other guys on to music. And uh, one day I remember... Uh, he goes, Rob, he goes, uh, you got to hear this band mountain, right? You know, and he, I was over at his house, he played the album for me. And so I remember went out and bought it right away. Uh, you know, and we, we always liked heavy music, you know, and like when I, when I started hearing that really heavy stuff, you know, we'd already been playing in another band playing, you know, some copy stuff and experimenting with writing our own songs. But I mean, there was no doubt in our mind that we wanted, you know, we really wanted to, to move in a heavier direction. Yeah. And, uh, after I heard that and like, you know, about the same time as like mountain, it was like deep purple in rock, you know, all, yeah. all that early stuff. And we'd already been listening to like uh Jimi Hendrix and cream and all those bands, Savoy Brown, uh, a lot of English and European rock, you know, mm-hmm. not so much U S stuff at the time, but, uh, you know, but there was bands from the U S like iron butterfly, you know, the psychedelic stuff. And that's kind of, we are out here in California. We were raised on all that because right around our neighborhood, uh, like around a mile from my house, The Doors actually played at this place called The Back Door. It was like a little hole in the wall. Then right up the coast from us at a Earl Warren Showground, a lot of the early bands like uh, Jimi Hendrix and Iron Butterfly, like all those early, you know, the early rock bands were always playing up there, Jefferson Airplane, stuff like that. So we were all exposed to that. Some of that we were a little bit too young to go see, but mm-hmm. again, it was always on the radio and you'd see the posters for the concerts and and such.
2: So you were raised around all of that, and you get to uh, be exposed to all of that, like awesome influential rock music. And uh, what influenced you to pick up the drumsticks? Uh, when did you get interested in that? And like, who were some of your favorite drummers? And and how young did you start playing?
3: Well, you know that that kind of gets back to like the first band that I told you about, and I'm not sure whether uh, they were my. Uh Inspirations because they were the first guys I picked up, and I don't think that they were. I think it was because they were so good. Uh, we got together, actually, the band got together when we were, like, in uh, seventh grade, so I probably was around 13 at the time. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, Corky Lang, who played drums for Mountain, they, that was actually the first rock concert I ever went and saw. Nice. Uh, my, my brother-in-law's sister actually took me down to see it, and it was a uh, band Sweat Hog was opening up for it, and the Mountain... And I was just blown away. You know, and I, I don't know, a lot of guys, you know, maybe some even younger uh, generation guys haven't been exposed to that much of the mountain stuff, but they were one of the heaviest bands I ever saw live, and it was just unbelievable, the power. Felix Papillardi, he produced all the Cream albums. He was their bass player. He played with a really, really fuzzy-toned bass. Yeah. And Leslie West was a guitarist, and they would do these jam things that were just insane. You know, and I... I mean, but it wasn't—it it wasn't like meandering stuff. It was just so well thought out, and uh, you know, had a keyboard player and a drummer and everything—just the whole band. It just really—it kind of brought home to me, you know, what heavy music was. And uh, but you ask also too Ian Pace from Deep Purple. He's also another one of my uh, my idols. You know, along with Bill Ward from Black Sabbath. You know, all the really drummers. You know, and I can't lie—I I'm old enough that I I saw you know all the guys. On uh, TV, like uh, Buddy Rich, nice. you know, all, and all the earlier drummers, you know, like in yeah. the black and white days. But I mean, I think that kind of turned me on to like being interested in drums. But it wasn't until I started hearing the real heavy rock that I actually, uh, and, and I'm self-taught, so I mean, that, that's 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 how I picked it up by listening to the bands that I love.
2: That's great man that's uh it sounds like some really cool like foundation there and then you know obviously as you guys go on uh, things get a little faster a little heavier and uh you guys started Cirith Ungol I believe it was it
3: 1978 1971 wow we were okay. in 7th grade and there's oh. a story behind that too we were me and Greg were in like an advanced English class you know cuz I guess we were you know, know your, your iq or something they, they pulled you out and put you in different classes sure and so it was a, it was a kind of literature class so we were assigned to read the lord of the rings mm-hmm. and it, it had a pretty big influence on us you know and actually from there you know we branched out like once again greg turned me on to a lot of this stuff the elric series which is on uh all of our studio albums uh elric you know he's an albino king he has a sword storm bringer and uh, all that kind of sword and sorcery, that's the kind of stuff that led us from, you know, the Lord of the Rings into that type of literature. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of people say they were upset. They go, wow, their name's Sir Thungle, and but they, they have Elric on the cover. But, I mean, you know, our name was picked when we were so young, you know, and we always wished, you know, we thought, well, I wish we would add, you know, like a one-word name like Kiss or something like that that was easy for people to remember. Because <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people couldn't remember our name or they couldn't pronounce it or they didn't know what we were. But, I mean, that's once we kind of settled on that, we just kind of kept it so that we wouldn't deviate from, you know, the program. Um, but, you know, it, it really didn't influence our songwriting, maybe a little bit at the very beginning. But once we started, you know, really full on writing our heavier songs, we were t- reaching out kind of just for a material that was kind of dark, but not necessarily focused on per se, The Lord of the Rings, sure. or on or on any of the books that we read. You know, some of that we got inspiration from, but, you know, we tried not to, you know, plagiarize the stuff by, uh, you know, by de- delving that deep into it. We actually, at the time when we first came up with our name, we asked permission of uh, the company, Saul Dance Company, which actually had the rights to that at the time, uh-huh. and they said, you know, they didn't mind us doing it as long as, you know, we didn't do anything that, like, you know, brought... You know disrepute to the <laughs> to the owners of the thing. Of course, and at the time of the Lord of the Rings, the only way it was out in um, out in the media was it was a cartoon. There was a cartoon of it, so it was kind of uh, it was way before the Peter Jackson movies.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, it's crazy to see that, like, all these years later, uh, I mean, you guys are pretty much the foundation and probably the inspiration for so many bands that there is now, like, a, a folk and, and fantasy metal uh, subgenres. There, there are literally hundreds of bands around the world, a lot in, uh, like, Scandinavia, Europe, that are all folk and, and, and uh, fantasy metal influenced. Like, is that pretty crazy to see how you can see a direct line between the album covers that you guys did, the music that you guys did, your name, the music. How uh, how how is that to see uh that you guys really were like the foundation for that?
3: You know, I'm not really sure that's true. I just think, you know, we all had similar ideas, just at different times in in you know, in the in the time span of history. You know, so, you know, someone once told our singer, you know, we were in an interview and they go, You're the grandfathers of Doom Rock. Well, you know that that, that's possibly true, but I mean, you know, I think back in the Roman times, people were calling for doom, you know, something's going to happen, you know, as far back as, you know, in the Bible and Revelation. So, you know, we're not the first guys to like paint a do- uh, gloomy picture of the future, but, you know, Anything that, if if it'll give people interest in the band, we'll, we'll certainly take uh, the title if it's available. So
2: That's true, and that's something for us critics and us DJs to say. You, you would sound like a jerk if you were to say it, but we're allowed to say it. That's not for the band to say it, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, what's funny, and you know, also, too, Tim always mentioned this, uh once we was in the store me and him and there was some encyclopedia of heavy metal you know and yeah anytime there's something about heavy metal or music i always dig through there. always i was always hoping it were in there but you know we usually never are but anyway so i whipped this out and i looked up sirothungal and thought so exciting and it literally goes like this it goes the worst heavy metal band that ever existed That's what wow called, so.
2: hey at least you're so known for is, something right
3: grandfather's yeah, somewhere between the grandfathers of Doom Rock and the worst metal band that ever existed. Uh, wow. So I would actually take that. You know, I would disagree with that because I think some of the stuff that we did, I'm actually quite proud of.
2: You must have pissed the writer off of that for some, some years ago or something.
3: <laughs> well, you know, at the time, you know, a lot of bands now with, with the black metal, you know, and uh, uh, a lot of the genres that are out now. Yeah. There's some more uh, radical forms of singing, but. You know, at the time, you know, I remember all my buddies, uh, well, we were some of the first guys to go down and see Rush when they played in Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, they played down at the Whiskey Go Go, and a couple of us went down there, and there was only a handful of people there. We ended up going backstage and hanging out with them. Cool. But I mean, I remember playing their music for a lot of my friends and they're just going oh, that the singer's too radical. I mean, I think that's what our singer Tim at the time, the guys that liked the band liked us because he was original and kind of uh, out there and I think the people that didn't like the band didn't like us or hated us because of his voice. I have a funny story. We used to get lots of fan mail, we'd hand write it back from everyone all over the world. And once we got a letter and this guy goes, man, your band, you guys are just horrible. He goes, you guys suck. He goes, I just hate your singer. You know, <laughs> and then, you know, so like three, three months later, you know, we're answering more fan mail and the guy wrote back. He goes, you know, I'm the guy that wrote back three months ago and said how bad you guys were. He goes, I listened to the album a bunch of times. And he goes, "Now I really like your singer, you know? So <laughs> uh, what I advise people, if they're new to the band, at least to listen to like a few of the songs several times before they make a decision
2: it's an acquired taste right
3: yeah there you go there you go
2: nice uh okay so you know uh this is uh this is sirith ungles first northwest performance ever really your first performance on the west coast above southern california where you guys are really um known in in your home uh where you guys kind of came up uh when you guys were first active how often were you playing shows and, and how often did you guys tour
3: you know, we never toured, per se, per se. We never did that. What we did is we live around an hour north of, of Los Angeles, a beautiful little seaside coastal town called Ventura, California. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pontiac, Pontiac named a car after it. You know, a bunch of guys wrote songs on it, Ventura Highway. You know, it's all about Ventura. Uh beautiful place you can look out and you see there's islands off our coast one even has an arch in it you can watch the sunset behind there and it's just really pretty
1: it's beautiful and Yeah, it's
3: like an hour from LA so to actually get down to LA where all the music stuff was was kind of a challenge for us but what we did do is as the band was progressing and uh, especially right before and right after we put out our first album Frost and Fire and we did that in an attempt to try to like uh, corner record company interest and matter of fact a lot of people don't understand it but our first album, we completely did it all on our own. And we were probably one of the first guys ever to do this from the recording to the artwork, layout, everything, pressing. We were there all the way through it. We did that all completely on our own. And the songs that we put on there were actually our most accessible stuff. We were actually doing that hoping that, because at the time, if you weren't on the radio, you know, you couldn't you couldn't get signed. And so what we did is we tried to put all the stuff on our first album that we thought, you know, a record company guy might say, well, hey, maybe that could be on the radio or this this might be, uh, you know, radio material. And what was amazing, the rock station out here in Los Angeles, KLOS, mm-hmm. they actually played several of our songs. And nice. the guy, I talked to him, you know, a couple of days later and goes, man, your stuff is just way too crazy. It's way too radical and heavy <laughs> at the station. You know, and we didn't understand it because at the time they're playing, once again, they're playing Black Sabbath and other stuff there. Yeah, that's pretty heavy decided, stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but it just goes to show how strange our our stuff was, I guess, to people that were used to hearing something, even if Black Sabbath was more like a commercial heavy metal, we were something that was kind of, you know, strange and new. And so, you know, when they said that, that's actually when we said, well, hey, this was all our top 40 stuffs. you know, so our next album, King of the Dead, we're going to actually pull out all the stops and we're going to try to do the heaviest album that we could do without any constraints. Yeah. And... uh but getting back to your question, you know, about that time, what we would do is we 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 played all the clubs in LA. We played the Starwood, uh, we played the Whiskey Gogo. Matter of fact, if you ever look, Richard Pryor on the Sunset Strip movie that came out. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of the movie is driving down the Sunset Strip, and we were playing at the Whiskey Gogo that night, and we're actually standing out in front of the club.
2: Oh my God, that's awesome!
3: A giant rig drives by with all this stuff on it. So if you watch on the. Uh, the, the beginning of the movie it passes the thing and our name's up on the marquee
1: oh that's so awesome we
3: also, we also played the starwood a lot of bands back then uh rush wine tea which used to be yesterday and today a lot of the bands we used to hang out with uh, a lot of all the bands would come to town sticks they would all, they would all play the starwood um and that that's another kind of infamous club it's kind of ties into uh the movie wonderland uh you know, the guy that owned it was one of the guys that was involved in that movie. You know, and there's a bunch of like sordid history on that. And I'll let other people, if they want to, go back and look at that. But that was one of the major clubs in LA at the time. Then also, we played the uh, Gazares and we played, uh, you know, Wolf and Mueller's Country Club, which was in the valley. But that was a great place that had a giant stage and uh, a large floor to it with a big balcony. And so, you know, we were always playing the, the clubs in LA, trying to. And once again, thinking, well, if this where all the music industry is, if we can get people to come out and like us here, you know, then maybe that that'll be our stepping stone to stardom. You know, and we're not the only ones. A lot of bands that made it actually started out and did the same thing. But you know, we didn't have any gimmicks, and you know, we wouldn't you know we wouldn't wear makeup, and you know, we just we wouldn't do all the stuff that people wanted us to do to actually uh, you know become popular at the time. So. That's our story, but yeah, no, we never. Now, after our first album came out, a guy saw us at the whiskey, and he goes, "You guys are so fantastic." He flew us down to Mexico City. Wow, and we played uh, we played several shows there, and that was pretty amazing. And that would have been around 1982. And uh, yeah, that was. We also did like I'm doing this interview with you. I got to tell you a funny story because we got millions of funny stories. Sure. They took the They took us to the presidential palace. In Mexico City, right? In the downtown Mexico City. Yeah. We walked up all the staircases up on the back of the building and got up on the roof of the presidential palace. And there was a shack up there, almost like a little home-built house that you'd build inside. It was an underground radio station. And we did an interview, just like I'm doing with you. Oh,
2: that's awesome.
3: And it's underground radio station on top of the presidential palace in Mexico. And it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's pretty but epic, man. That, yeah, and other than that, what we were just trying to do, we were, we were like writing material, recording the albums, putting out albums. You know, we we're always waiting for this big break that never came. And so that's, you know, and would we like to go on tour? Of course we would. But back then, if you didn't have a major record label and you, if you didn't have tour support, you know, you couldn't do it. And like four guys that just kind of grew up and didn't know what they're doing, we couldn't get out there and set up a tour and uh, at least one that would, uh, we would have came back from in one piece. So. Anyway, that's the story on us playing.
2: Well, it's I mean it's awesome that all these years later you guys are playing your first Northwest performance ever. And, and if you're just tuning in, uh, I'd like to reintroduce: we are speaking with Robert Garvin from the band Sirith Ungol. He is uh, plays drums for Sirith Ungol, and they are uh, they are back together, and they're going to be playing their first Northwest show ever for Northwest Terror Fest next weekend on, in Seattle. Go to northwestterrorfest.com for tickets, uh, dude. So. I got to go back in time to 1991 after releasing Paradise Lost. You guys broke up as a band. Uh, Were you still active and interested in in metal and rock music in the downtime after breaking up?
3: Well, yeah, that's a question a lot of people ask. You know, what did we do after the band broke up? And what kind of broke up the band is a couple of the original members left for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And we had a few guys in the band that kind of just were in the band to kind of like be placeholders. They weren't really interested in a future with the band. They just... You know, in there for a while just so we could get that uh, album, Paradise Lost Out. Yeah. And after the band broke up, we all kind of just went our separate ways. Now, me and Tim were sitting there after a couple of the people left the band. Uh, we're sitting there in our band room, and we're just going, you know, hey, we've been doing this for 20 years. You know, we haven't made any money. hmm uh, you know, and like, are we going to go out and recruit more members and, and try to, you know, make them learn all our stuff and do it? And we just decided, hey, you know, we've had a pretty good run. We wrote some great material. You know, let's just put it to rest. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of where it ended. Now, I never stopped listening to heavy metal, but I stopped going to a lot of shows because every time I went to a show, you know, I would be very you know, depressed. I mean, I, I'd look up, I go, I want to be on stage, you know, and I wish I was up there playing and I wish I was still in a metal band. Fair enough, and yeah. so, I mean, I even had, I had nightmares over the years about, you know, getting back together and writing new stuff and buying new drum sets. And, you know, there were always, you know, dreams that, you know, I wanted to do that, but when the band broke up, I swore, look, I go, I'm never going to play drums again. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I'm never going to touch another drumstick. And that's kind of how it, 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 state. Now, Greg, Greg, who's in a band now, Greg Lindstrom, Mm -hmm. one of the other founding first, he actually was in a band Falcon and he put out a couple of records and all the other guys, I think, you know, they still listen to music, but other than Greg, no one, no one participated, you know, in the music business after we broke up in 91.
2: But then, you know, 24 years later, you guys reformed in 2015. Bring us back to that time. Like what brought the members of Searith back together after all that time?
3: Well, Oliver, there Oliver, the guy that puts on the Keep a True Festival in Germany. Yeah, they just had his twenty, uh, I think, first or twenty second. Uh, they just had the twenty second uh, uh, version of that. Uh, and uh, he had been contacting me for at least ten years, going, "Hey, Rob, you know Sir Thungle, Everyone loves you. You know,
2: he was poking you, you.
3: <laughs> you. Yeah, you can play, and I'd always say, "No, no, it's never going to happen." And then the next year, he'd get back and he'd go, "Hey Rob, you know, come on, you you get together and play." And then then he'd email me and he'd say, "Hey look, Rob, come over." He goes, "I'll pay your way over. Just come over and come to the event and stuff, you know." And and I started thinking, "Oh, they're trying to kidnap me or something." So and I would I said no. So to make a long story short, uh, Jarvis Leatherby, who's actually you know the uh, bass player and the guy behind Night Demon, yeah. he'd been uh, contacting me too, and we had a we had a friend. Uh, Carl Valdez, who was a drummer in the in punk band, Ill repute because next to Ventura, there's a town called Oxnard and a lot of, uh, you know, punk. and
2: Nardcore.
3: Yeah, Nardcore, exactly. It came from that area. And so my friend, uh, Carl, goes, hey, man, you got to talk to this guy, Jarvis, you know, and and so I talked to him on the phone. He goes, look, he goes, we're touring all over Europe and with Night Demon, and he goes, everywhere people are wearing Syrofungo shirts and they know your music, and they got patches on, like, you know, homemade patches. And he goes, you guys got to get back together. And I'm like, you know, it's, you know, I wish we could, but it's never going to happen. Yeah. So what he decided to do, he put on a festival in our hometown called Frost and Fire that was named after our first album. And what he wanted to do is, after seeing all these festivals spring up all around the United States and all over the world, wanted to bring one to our hometown with bands from all over, right? So he put on this festival and he goes, hey, Rob, would you guys at least come out and sign some autographs and do a meet and greet? And we said, for sure. So we did that. And, you know, we sat there signing autographs for like an hour. You that's know, awesome. Just people lined up. Yeah. Yeah, people were freaking out, just seeing the guys, you know, here's the guys that's here at Sirithungo, They're, you know, they're not dead yet and stuff. And at one point after we did that, uh, Oliver and Jarvis took us across the street to a small restaurant. And uh, Oliver goes, hey, look, if you guys get back together, you guys can headline my festival next year, you know. And, well, yeah. you know, we hadn't played in you know twenty years, twenty five years, right? Yeah. And then Jarvis goes, he goes, if you guys get back together, you guys can headline my festival here next year in Ventura, <laughs> your hometown. Yeah. And he goes, I'll I'll be your manager because he's he was managing a few other bands at the time. And so we said, you know what, we'll 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 talk it over. And to be honest, if you saw the look on all the people's faces that came out, you know, just to meet us and stuff. It didn't take me long to realize that, hey, maybe, you know, this might be if we're going to ever do this, we're going to do this right now or it's never going to happen. Yeah. And so that was the seeds It went for Jarvis and for Oliver. They're the two uh, gentlemen I keep every time someone says, oh, you know, we're so happy you got back together. You know, if you want to blame someone or, or thank someone, those are the two people that actually uh, to talked to us into it
2: man that's a beautiful thing and that's so awesome that like you know it may have taken a little while but finally after all these years you guys finally get that like that chance to tour and that chance to record and that chance to to you know make it a, a profitable thing and, and to, uh, to have a lot of people maybe uh, appreciate you guys a bit more for the foundation you guys laid and this is all me speaking you know you don't necessarily have to agree with me but you know I gotta say that it, it's, it's an awesome thing and uh, you know you guys released an out, uh, a song last uh last year called uh Witch's Game uh is your first song since 1991 uh what was it like being back in the studio to record a new song dude
3: Oh it was fantastic uh just so you know a lot of the original stuff that we had like a little recording studio in uh my sister's bedroom at my parents' house where we recorded a bunch of stuff that was on uh, we had an album out, Servants of Chaos, which was a lot of unreleased stuff that we did originally. So as soon as we got back together, we bought some recording equipment, and we were working on some stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's something that we always did. I mean, if you think of our band, we were never a band. it just kind of like rested on our laurels or whatever. We were always kind of working on new material and trying stuff. So a lot of people, I think, thought, you know, hey, these guys are going to get back together. You know, in a way, we're kind of like... A, a, a glorified tribute band of our own band, right? Yeah. So anyway, we were, we were already starting to work on material. And uh, Tim, our singer, he was cruising around online and turned out this animated movie that was being uh, talked about they were starting to work on called Planet of Doom. And it was supposed to be an animated movie, very similar to the movie Heavy Metal that came out in the 80s, yeah. which was going to use uh, heavy metal music with uh, uh, animation in the background. And uh, so we got in contact with them, and they were all like, oh, yeah, no, we're big fans of the band. And we said, well, you know, we have this song, Planet, uh, Doom Planet, on our third album, One Foot in Hell, and you guys are Planet of Doom. And so they wanted to use the song, and so we were all excited about that. And I think that was going to be used during the credits. And we said, well, you know, could we do a song for the movie? And they said, well, you know what, All the all the bands are taken. This is, you know, it's already been set up. And so we're a little bit bummed out, but we're excited that we were part of the whole project. Sure, yeah. A couple of months later, a couple of months later, turned out one of the other bands backed out or couldn't make the commitment, and so they go, "Hey, do you guys want to write, you know, one of these a song for the movie?" So we actually, you know, bet- between the artist and the guys, the scriptwriters and stuff, we actually sat down, you know, and Tim wrote all the lyrics to fit sort of towards the movie. Sure, and that's why it's kind of a longer song than you know sometimes we would write. Because it had to be within a certain segment of the movie. So the length of it, the lyrics and everything kind of determined uh, what's going to happen in the movie. And then now now that that's done, they're actually working on the animation part. so they're actually the animators are actually trying to fit all the animation to the music so that that'll be all uh, perfect. And we're really excited. There's a bunch of bands involved in it, and you can go online, see all the bands. but what it is there's like around uh, a group of musicians paired with a certain artist so each part of the movie like each segment is going to be a a specific uh, band and a specific artist working on you know each segment and we're really excited and you can actually see some of the clips online and stuff and it's going to be I think this is going to be like a pretty amazing uh, movie when it comes out.
2: Do you have any idea when it might be coming out?
3: Well, you know what? They're finishing up on it right now. Nice. And I think what the plan is to get it done by the end of this year. Then they're going to start taking it around, I think, possibly next year to some of the uh, film festivals. Cool. And basically what the movie's about is this guy, Havlar, and he rides across a psychedelic landscape on his witch-born chopper trying to find this evil monster that killed his wife. Wow. So, you know, it's kind of you know, – it's it, it, it's sort of like a Nordic, you know, sword and sorcery type storyline. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm amazed at is, like I said, if you saw The Caliper, all the artists and the bands are like involved in this thing, it's going to be just amazing, and we're just so proud that we could actually be part of that.
2: Well, you guys sound like, I mean, honestly, you guys are like the perfect soundtrack to that kind of, just the idea that you just threw out there of, of what the movie's going to be about. That's that's Sirith Ungle right there, man.
3: A lot of guys, you know, once again, I think they thought, well, hey, they—you know these guys, they could play again, but maybe they can't write music so a lot of people were surprised that we could actually even uh, write a song but you know we're working on some other material right now and that's that's kind of the plan is to move forward with some more you know something something coming after after that so i mean that that's the plan is to work on the material you know we don't have anything ironclad down but uh you know we're all excited and the stuff we're working on is really heavy and uh, that's my promise. You know, I promised everyone, our fans, that we're not going to release anything unless it's like as heavy as like, the heaviest stuff we've already done.
2: That's awesome, man. Well, I look forward to hearing that, and and you guys are with Metal Blade Records, so we can ensure that whenever you do come, come out with an album, we'll be able to pick it up wherever and it will get the best of, uh, of uh, distribution and whatnot, and we'll be able to find it at all, all our favorite record stores. Uh, and uh, you know what, man? I think, uh, I think I'm going to ask you the final question, like, what's your final words for the Northwest audience, being it, it is your first time up here, uh, with the band at least, next week, you guys are going to be headlining the first night of Northwest Terror Fest on the Numo stage. That's Thursday, May 30th, Northwest Terror Fest. What's your final words for the Northwest? Uh, Rob?
3: Well, we're really excited. We just got back from playing a big show, Legions of Metal, in Chicago. Yeah, We're really excited about coming out to Seattle. We've never been there. And we're looking forward uh, to, to playing at the Northwest Terror Fest. And I'd just like to ask as many people to come out and see the band because, you know, we we're, you know we're not playing that many uh, shows a year, and so this may be our only chance to see the band if we actually make it up uh, to the northwest. And so I would hope as many people would come out and also come out and support your local metal festival, because these things are pretty fragile around the world. I mean, there, there's plenty of them, but to have ones that are successful that that, that keep hanging in there, I think it's it's it's, it's a fantastic opportunity to like uh, encourage you know, heavy metal music, you know, in your your local scene. And so I want all the people from Seattle and the Northwest to come out and support the Northwest Fest because I think it's a really great thing, and I want to see it continue.
2: Awesome. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time, and we'll see you Thursday, May 30th. Again, they are headlining Northwest Terror Fest, the first night of the fest. Uh, You can go to NorthwestTerrorFest.com for tickets. Robert, have a good one, and we'll see you on Thursday, man.
3: We'll see you then. This has
1: been Metal Shops Backstage Pass.